New Year, New Episode. Hello, and welcome to the Grace of Giving Podcast. We're your hosts, James Riley and Grace Prosniewski. Well, folks, we made it. We got through 2020. Can you believe we're finally out of it, G? Honestly, there were a couple times back there I I wasn't sure we were going to make it, but you know what? It's a new year. It's a fresh start. (laughs) That's right. You got that correct. And what better way to celebrate the new year than welcoming a new guest to the show? We're so happy to welcome our first guest of 2021, Senior Director of Academic and Global Advancement, Michael Longo. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, James. Thank you, Grace. Thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here with you. Absolutely. Thanks for being here with us to start out 2021. So, Michael, can you tell us a little bit about your your childhood? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, first, if I, if I could just put in a plug here, James, sure. just a thank you to you and to Grace for having the courage and competence to uh, launch and succeed with this podcast. Uh, oh. It gives us an opportunity to get to know uh, the who behind the what. Um, knowing what our colleagues do is interesting. Knowing who they are is, uh, is inspiring. Um, and this podcast gives us a chance to know who people are. So, so if I could just start out with a message of gratitude for you guys, this, this, this podcast inspires me. So thank you. Thank you Um, for sharing that. That uh, feels good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, uh, uh, my childhood, right. Um, uh, I grew up in uh, South Jersey. I was born in Camden, uh, South mm. Jersey, and I grew up in a town called Glassboro, South Jersey, which is different from New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't know the state of South Jersey, uh, look it up. We're proud South Jerseyans. Um, and while we have a lot of friends and family in the state of New Jersey, uh, we love the ones in South Jersey more uh, than the ones in New Jersey. So yeah, that's where I was uh, born and raised came to Notre Dame is the first time I ever really left, uh, left my hometown. So, mm. uh, so that was, uh, that, that's been a while in childhood. I have three siblings. I'm the youngest of four, uh, two girls, two boys, uh, four children. My mother had four children in five years. And, um, uh, all my siblings now live in the South and the Carolinas and my parents still live in the house. We, we grew up in, uh, in, uh, wow. Glassburn, New Jersey. That uh, makes me think of uh, my good friend, Christy Green, who uh, I used to work with in admissions at Notre Dame, and she's Notre Dame class of 96. She is also from Glassboro, and she speaks highly of Glassboro, uh, as well as some other South Jersey towns like Cinnamonson and some other towns in that area, so... Yeah, her brother uh, was a classmate of mine. Oh, sure, sure. Her, her Scott. older brother, Scott, That's right. uh, was, a, was a high school classmate and then eventually a, um, a Notre Dame classmate as well. Yeah, wow, small world. Well, so. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> the, the Glassboro's a vortex of the universe. I don't know if you <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> looked it up on a map, but um, yeah, that, that's uh, it's the center of the world, man. That's right. Uh... Well, Michael, can you tell us a little bit uh, about your time here at Notre Dame as a student and maybe what initially drew you to Notre Dame? Yeah, what uh, I'll start with the second one. What drew me to Notre Dame was uh, one of the most influential people in my life, uh, my aunt, uh, a lady called Grace Peters, who who pointed out Notre Dame in the universe to me uh, and encouraged me to apply despite no other indicators of my profile suggesting I had uh, had any reason to apply to Notre Dame. So that's how I came to know Notre Dame, through uh, my aunt who um, who 
who looked at Notre Dame with great admiration um, and pointed it out to me when I was considering what I would do after high school. Um, and then I, uh, uh, despite uh, many obstacles, eventually became a student here. And, you know, it wasn't a great experience. Uh, I, I was a financially poor kid um, and first in my family to go to college. Uh, my father didn't graduate high school. He, he years later eventually went on to get his his GED, but there I was, a financially poor kid, uh, profoundly ignorant, um, surrounded by people not like me. And um, so it, it wasn't a great experience. I, I certainly credit my, uh, my parents, my faith, mm. uh, my roommates, Joe, Derek, Brian, uh, a dear friend, uh, Genghis. Uh, I credit Professor Hums. Uh, I'm one of Hums alums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they they showed me the way and and showed me the way to earn something that can't be taken away from uh, a degree from from Notre Dame. So, yeah, that, that that's a bit about my experience, my journey to Notre Dame, my experience there. Yeah. What class year are you, Michael? Did you say 1993? Sure, yeah. sure. It's uh, I, I the think greatest I... graduating class in the history of Notre Dame. <laughs> you sure it's not 94? <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't get the memo from Shannon Cullinan, another class of 93 grad, you're obliged to say that. That's uh, right. Says you have to say that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think that, you know, perhaps on, on one given day back in 1992, 93, 91 or whatever, you and I probably brushed elbows walking by each other in one of the buildings or just uh, on the quad or the dining halls, you know, just to think about that. Now we're, now we're coworkers, colleagues. And I think that the only thing missing from Notre Dame's campus amongst its undergraduate population was Grace Prosnowski. Ah, right. How did right. we miss her? James, yes. uh, we're blessed to have her as a, as a member of our team. Uh, it would have been magical to have her here as a student because, uh, uh, yeah, a lot of great people have walked these paths and, mm-hmm. and, uh, some who are great didn't have the opportunity to, but uh, they come through another journey. So that's um, right. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great place that attracts great people. Yeah, I count my blessings every day that Grace Prozdowski is on this team. So thanks, yeah. Grace. Blushing, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> Can you think back, Michael, to to May, I guess, of of 1993 graduation day? If you could give yourself a, a piece of advice, what would that be? Don't look back. Look forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be courageous, which is, uh, as I learned over the years, courage isn't fearlessness, courage is action in the face of fear. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so don't look back, look forward and be courageous. Wow. Great advice. Great piece of advice. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so can you tell us a little about your career path after you left Notre Dame? Yeah, sure. So, um, it's a bit of a, um, I'd say it's, it's, it's a life path uh, as much as a career path. I, I graduated with a degree in accountancy and, and, and went, as many do, uh, to work in a large accounting firm. I went to Philadelphia to work for Coopers and Librarian. And, and after several years, I realized I was seeking more meaning in my life than, than a 70-hour-a-week job. Um, so I raised my hand to take a position with the firm outside of the United States. And and that was the beginning of a journey that that resulted in me spending more than half of my professional career living and working outside the United States, mm. uh, where I came to learn many things. Uh, I learned way more about the United States living outside it than I ever knew about it uh, living here. Um, 
I realized how little I knew about the rest of the world, how little I knew about history. And, and I came to learn how, how blessed I am to have been born an American, um, how blessed I, I am to, to have been born into the most agile, tolerant, free society in, in history. And, and with all of our issues, and we have many, many issues in this country, I can't be drawn to despise my country. I, I, my inclination is to give thanks for, uh, for what I was born into uh, because I've seen the proper face of, of oppression and intolerance and evil and, and, and division. Uh, and so I, I, my, my perhaps um, uh, my career path is really a life path. Uh, and the greatest gift I was given in my career path was the opportunity to leave the United States. Uh, it changed my life forever. Uh, I, I met uh, of one of the many profound experiences I had is I met the hero in my life path, my, my wife, Andrea. Hmm. Um, and from, uh, she's just the embodiment of love. And from the moment I first saw her in a garden in Bogota, uh, I knew she was the most beautiful person I'd ever seen. And, and over the years, uh, days, months, and years since that day, uh, she's taught me, uh, she's taught our children, she's taught so many, what is, what is love? Uh, and so all these profound changes in my life and experience in my life started with a journey on my career path, but then became my life path. Uh, it informed my life path. So yeah, that's a bit about what I did after I graduated Notre Dame. Sounds like a great uh, title to a, a movie or a book, A Garden in Bogota. It's a beautiful place. Yeah, it's a beautiful place and beautiful and full of beautiful people. Sure. Uh, and, and I was really blessed to, to, have met, uh, to have met the most beautiful person of all when mm. I was there. Now, back in 2000, I want to say I, I spent uh, a good two and a half weeks abroad over in Europe traveling with uh, a Notre Dame, a Notre Dame trip that was offered through the Alumni Association because my mm -hmm. wife worked there and, and I was able to go with her on this trip. But that's the most time I've ever spent outside the U.S. Uh, but you yourself, Michael, you've lived abroad. So can you tell us about that experience? It sounds like you learned a lot about the United States living abroad. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. I, uh, maybe one way to think about it, James, is it's full of all the magic that you would experience on a, on a vacation or a short trip outside the United States. And it's blended with the, some of the more mundane parts of life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, buying a car, buying a house, having a baby, getting a job, right? So you be, it's, it's this wonderful balance of living and experiencing the day-to-day, -day, even banalities of life while also experiencing the magic of seeing other parts of the world and then seeing your country through the lens uh, that's been made available to you, which is a very ex exclusive uh, lens to be able to look at your country through the eyes of others, to look at your country through uh, the experiences that you're having in a different place and, and begin to ask you, you know, the first thing you do, I think it's just instinct, right? You begin to compare, well, it's like this here and it's like this in America, right? Why is it different? And then you begin to pick through it. And, 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 and the conclusion I came to after years and years of this was no one, very few people wake up in the world and say to themselves, I'm not American. They don't wake up and compare themselves and their day-to-day -day experiences to mm -hmm. life in America. Whereas when we're with them, 
were thinking about, well, why don't they do this? And why do they do it this way? And why do they eat this and wake up at this time of the day and go and do these things? Like they don't think of it that this is just their life as an English person or a Colombian or a Venezuelan or Mexican or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the real eye-opening moment when you really get to know a country and its people um, is to see them through uh, their life experience, which isn't some sort of comparison to your country and your life experience. It, it is what it is. It's sure. their life experience. Yeah. So that, hmm. that was a real, um, a real blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A real blessing allowed me to look at myself and again, our country through, uh, through a much different lens. So Michael, what brought you back to, um, the United States and particularly to Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, so it was a strange path. Uh, a, um, and on another podcast, we can get into it in, in more detail. <laughs> I talk a lot, so you guys will keep us on track. So, but I'll try to be succinct. So, so Andre and I were content where we were, right. We had what makes one content, right. We had jobs, we had a home, uh, children, friends, family, um, and then Notre Dame came calling, uh, the, um, to summarize, I, I basically cold called Notre Dame and made a proposal to be a consultant for them. And, uh, and they said no. And then some months later they called me and, and, and asked me if I would be interested in pursuing this new role that, that was being created in development. So over a period, a long period of time, uh, I became intrigued about what Notre Dame wanted to do. Um, I became more interested in this in this novel role that was being created, and then I began the process of formally applying and interviewing, and this was a big part, selling the idea to my family. <laughs> um, and then about, I guess it was probably eighteen months from first contact to when I arrived. Uh, so it was it was a, it was a long and winding road. Um, filled with all sorts of interesting cul-de-sacs that we spent a lot of time in. Uh, and then I eventually turned up here in, uh, in September of 2013. But one thing I do remember is I got my offer letter in May and because of a series of circumstances, wasn't able to arrive until later in the year, but I got my offer letter in May of 2013 and I sent it back and I asked if they could change the date on the offer letter to the 20th anniversary of my graduation date. And being Notre Dame, they did. Like, it was only off by, like, three. And no one was thinking of that, right? No one, no one in HR is thinking, let's date it on the 20th anniversary. But I sent it back, and I said, would you guys mind just doing this little thing? I, it'd be quite important and, and I think, significant to, to have an offer letter from the university 20 years after I, I left, uh, left there as a student. So that, that's a mm. bit, yeah, that's a bit of the... Uh, of how I came to be at Notre Dame. Um, and, and, and it was an offer from my alma mater to help uh, be part of shaping her future. That's what brought me back. Yeah. That's great, Michael. It kind of related to, to that. Uh, so I'm sitting in my home office, as we all are, and, and we've been here since March. But back in my office in Grace Hall on the 11th floor, I have something, uh, something that was given to me by you, I want to say five, probably six years ago or so, uh, and it's left an indelible mark uh, on me, uh, the wonderful impression that you made on me. So you have you had a unique way of getting people to your office when you had an office uh, in the main building, and people would come to see you, and you would give them this. So can you tell us about that that concept and that idea and how you came up with it? Yeah, sure. So, uh, wow, it's a great memory, James. Uh, <laughs> the... Um, uh, well, it was weird. The first sort of scheduled visitor to my office was someone from the Notre Dame Police Department. Mm. 
which was a bit, and, and when he was great, wonderful, Pat Holman, still a fantastic uh, friend and, uh, and still on our, our forces, you know, but I thought I got to do better than this. I can't have a police officer being the first person that rocks up in my office. Uh, you know, I, I've got to draw people, other people. And so, so anyone who would come to my office, would get this book called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands. And it's a wonderful book that, that can be, uh, that can inform you about the nuances of a particular country just pick a country it has mm -hmm. most of the major countries in the world and open it up and it tells you lots about the people the culture the climate the geography the politics the history um and so if you came to my office you would get this book that was sort of my my, my gift to people who were courageous enough to come see this new guy um and uh and share a bit about themselves and learn a bit about me so uh if, if the offer still stands we've still got copies of the book and uh and, and we can get you a, a uh, an e-copy as well if uh if if you want so yeah but the offer still stands uh, yes. kiss bower shake hands it's a great book yeah and help me in my life journey sure uh, it was a book that helped guide me in my early days outside the united states yeah i actually took a a class uh back in uh, November last year called advanced intercultural management. And, mm -hmm. uh, it was just about how you, you know, have uh, a diverse workforce, uh, not only, uh, racially here in the United States, but if you're working with someone from Venezuela or mm -hmm. Japan or whatever, and, uh, Elizabeth Talesia, she was a professor and I brought up this book, uh, and she had heard of it. And I think she was quite surprised that I knew about that book. So I, I credited you with, with giving us that book. Little did you know that, but uh, I'm still I'm still thanking you to this day. <laughs> well, that's a it's a nice story. It is. Uh, it's a great book. Yeah, great and it's, book. It does. It gives you you know the the diversity of experience mm. is is critical, right? And this this book certainly highlights how diverse of an experience you can have even in other Western English speaking countries. Uh, it's a diversity of experience that uh, that I think is is most um, transformative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I gotta check it out. Yeah, I don't have that book. we'll get you a copy. I'll send you a copy. We'll get a copy to you, Grace. It's uh, All right. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, well, so Michael, we've had two members of your team on the podcast, Katie Orenchek and Jay McAllister, and many other people on your team have gotten shout outs for the great work they do. Um, so, could you tell us a little about the academic and global advancement team, and also some of the changes that you've overseen? Yeah, um, we've got the greatest team I've ever ha had the privilege of working on. Uh, competence, character, uh, diligence, um, just we have incredibly capable people who have the courage, courage to get on the podcast, right? Uh, Katie and Jay were, were certainly part of the inspiration for me reaching, reaching out and connecting with you guys. Uh, and what... Um, uh, Perhaps a good way of summarizing the team is um, they have shown me things about the university that I wouldn't have otherwise known, right? For a person like me, the average number of degrees on our team is 2.18, and I have one. Uh, so I have no business getting as close to the academy as, as I've had the privilege of being uh, in this role. And to see the academy through the eyes of people who are looking at it, you know, we, one of the things that makes a good academic advancement director is if you can have a dual personality, right? So you can mm. look into the academy, which has different inspirations, timelines, motivations, incentives, uh, language, and then also turn and communicate effectively with development. It's, it's a very difficult role, 
exceptionally difficult. And if you do it well, I think you get visibility into the entire university. And I think you get visibility from the entire university to you because you get to collide with so many people uh, in both the academy and development and our donors um, outside. So um, the, the things that, that perhaps changes that, that, that we've seen since I was invited to join a team are um, a lot of turnover in, in people, right? We've got um, a lot different AADs than we had when I first joined, and we've grown the size of the team. Mm -hmm. uh, we've grown it to nine. We now cover 14 different units on campus. Uh, and um, one of the things we're focused on is how do we stay together as a team? How do we not just be a group of individuals? It's important that they all be excellent at what they do, but it's also important that they help us raise the entire tide. It's not enough simply for their boat to rise. They have to help bring up the entire uh, fleet of boats that we have. Um, and that's what I hope we've done uh, great work in, is, is in, is in raising the tide. Um, making sure that we're not only hiring and 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 supporting people and becoming excellent at what they do in their particular role, but in that we as a team become great as well, that they work better with one another, more effectively, uh, more uh, consistently share best practices. Mm -hmm. um, that that that's one thing we've worked a lot on. Uh, and it's, it's never ending work as, as you guys know, as part of the team, sure. uh, you have to be good at what you do and you also have to be good at, at making other people good at what they do. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to, we mentioned Jay McAllister on the, he was on the podcast. I want to say just before Christmas and, and one of the things we asked was, uh, was, uh, family traditions around Christmas. And he said he, he loves the smell of peat. Uh, lighting peat in his in his uh, house and it, it just reminds him of, of his grandfather I want to say or something like that and so and I told him I like the smell of peat as well lo and behold uh, I think two weeks later and I know this is an audio podcast but our, our guest can't see it but here is the little peat house oh <laughs> he sent it to me and you, you know you burn the peat in this little thing here and it comes out the chimney and and it smells wonderful so look at that thank you jay McAllister. Well yeah come oh. with a stock of peat oh look yeah yeah here's the here's the peat right here this is the little look at that. wow <laughs> yes so thanks jay you're a hell of a guy <laughs> outstanding nice gift man that's right you see that you're you guys are experiencing exceptionality of our team they're exception exception exceptionally detail-oriented and, and thoughtful yes. and kind and generous. Uh, they're servants, right? I mean, that's, that's yes. the, that's the, the motto is, uh, is this is a, this is a profession of service, mm. profession of service. Yeah. Now we're probably what, 10 months now into this pandemic. We've been home again, working since March. So just thinking about the pandemic and travel and working with international donors that your team does, uh, has a pandemic ha had you focus or shift to virtual engagement with these donors and has it provided any insights to you guys on how you might further engage with international donors going into the future? It probably the greatest insight has been how much work we can do ahead of a trip. Because if, if, if we're looking to maximize the, for the investment that the university is generous enough to make in, mm -hmm in us being present, physically present with our donors. If the investment to achieve that on a trip to Houston is, is a lot, you can imagine a trip to Hong Kong 
but it's an enormous investment right. uh, that the university makes. So how do we maximize that time? How do we maximize the impact of, of that investment? And what we've learned in the pandemic is how much we can do virtually to share information, to solicit questions, to provide feedback, to connect with students so that when we're actually there, the work becomes even more important. Uh, the, the, the kind of work that we're able to do in person is, 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 is even more important. And one of the ways I think about it is that the human being is a premium product, right? The one thing that all this focus on AI and technology is doing is, well, it's doing two things. It's highlighting how much can be done by AI and technology. And it's also highlighting what is uniquely human. The more we mm -hmm. give to the machines and the more we do virtually, the more it's going to define clearly what is uniquely the realm of the human being, right? Nice. And so when we think about those in-person visits, we can get really human. We can be really human and present and do the things that will never be able to be done virtually or, or a machine. And this pandemic has allowed us to define that with greater clarity. Uh, so, so one thing that we know for sure is that we've made enormous progress with donors outside the U.S. so that when we do eventually get the opportunity to go back and see them, we'll be a lot closer to that important work than we would have been if we, if we were doing a lot more things, a lot less things virtually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in addition to these pandemic learnings, uh, we're also in a unique position as a team where we're looking forward to the next campaign. Um, so when you're thinking about that and you're planning for that, what are your aspirations for the academic and global advancement team? That we be the driving force behind at least $5 billion of production for mm. the academy. And it's a pretty simple, uh, uh, it's pretty simple math, right? If it's, we're aspiring to have a $10 billion campaign, we aspire for at least half of that to be to the academy to to preserve and further uh, strengthen the the core of the university, the academy. Um, and so, our aspiration is to be the team that helps deliver to our donors uh, and for our donors to return to us five billion dollars of, of of funding for the academy. Um, and that's that's the highest level aspiration. Um, We've picked apart what it's going to take, both empirically and anecdotally, to get there. Uh, the number of sort of nine-figure gifts and eight-figure gifts, and then what what are what are the processes and things we need to make happen to uh, deliver ideas that are that big. And uh, anecdotally, we're working every day with the academy to um, refine their messaging, and we're working with all the new deans and uh, and tangentially with the new provost uh, to prepare the people, the processes, and procedures uh, to be able to deliver that kind of production. That's our aspiration, to deliver $5 billion to the academy in the next campaign, uh, and, and, and all the things that are necessary to to make that possible that all of you that all of you know um that's what we're working on right now mm -hmm. uh, yeah wow and selfishly as a sociology major i'm hoping that one billion dollars of that will be for the sociology department itself <laughs> well package the idea james <laughs> maybe a thousand more james riley's in the world that that result from a billion dollar sociology gift and We'll have a lot of takers on that. That's right. Oh, I love it. I love it. Speaking of uh, arts and letters and sociology, so your team uh, and the wider you are team recently said goodbye to Maria Di Pasquale, the former AAD for the College of Arts and Letters. 
as she moves on to serve as associate director of the Notre Dame Institute for Advanced Study. Those are obviously some very big shoes to fill. She's been in that role for a while. So can you tell us a little bit about the process of finding a new AAD for my favorite college here, the Arts and Letters? Yeah, maybe a way of putting those two together is we can honor Maria's legacy by being as effective in our hiring process as she was in her role. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria was profoundly capable and, and um, what kind of process do you need to put in place to honor that legacy uh, a, a process that's going to deliver um, an exceptional world-class academic advancement director. So we've been exceptionally diligent exceptionally comprehensive about the process. We had a record number of applicants, which resulted from an incredible outreach uh, with Tara Gilchrist and the whole team that, that has helped us there, Sherry and, and all those on that, uh, that side of the, the business. Um, we have 57 applicants, a record number. It's more than wow. three times That's great. the number of applicants we had for any other AD position. Um, and we've gone through a thorough process of, uh, of your traditional scan their CV and cover letter. Uh, We've asked for writing samples. We've had video prompt responses. We've had phone conversations. This week, we're in the process of introducing the finalists to our academic advancement team. Then they'll meet members of the College of Arts and Letters leadership team next week. They'll meet members of the development uh, leadership team next week as well. And then we expect over the next two to three weeks to to be down to uh, to our final candidate. Um, and, uh, we feel like that process is in a way honoring Maria and the legacy that she left us and also preparing us for academic advancement version 2.0 in the college of arts and letters, Mm -hmm. which has to be everything that version 1.0 is and then more. Sure. And I think we're going to get, uh, if the six finalists are any indication, I think we're going to get, um, a person well capable of doing that. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations uh, to, to where you've gotten so far. I know we're going to find a, a stellar winner out there to join our team. So congratulations. It's been a team to effort, you. James. I mm. tell you, it's been a team effort. We're much better at recruiting, screening, and hiring today than we were two years ago. Uh, and um, there have been a lot of people have leaned in here, a mm. lot of people. Uh, in many ways, I just feel like the orchestra conductor because there are lots of people playing great instruments in this, uh, in what we're doing now. Yeah. Nice. Well, shout out to Tara Gilchrist and Sherry Eggendorfer from internal engagement. Just a little mini plug there for, uh, of course. Yeah. You guys got a great team, right? And it takes great teams to hire great people. So that's it. Thanks, Michael. Um, so Michael, looking over, um, the work you've done, the work your team's done, is there any gift that stands out to you that you helped facilitate or bring in, uh, that for whatever reason you really impacted you really impacted me let's go back to class in 93 luke conway uh Mm -hmm. he helped me close my first ever gift uh it was very unexpected the circumstances but a donor is being transitioned from his portfolio to my portfolio introduced me to the donor um, in such a magical way that blended all of the things that luke is so so great at and his personality and and uh and he also kept it to business, right? And and in that transition period, Luke had been cultivating the gift and brought me in uh, in this transition. And um, that gift, for me, uh, we could ask the donor how much that 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 gift meant to them. But for me, that was so representative of how collegial 
uh, Lucas and how uh, it was one of my first impactful experiences as an employee. I'm like, wow, that that was selfless. You know, the production book to me because officially the donor was in my portfolio. Luke did a lot of the work, right? And, and that was really instructive. Uh, and so I'd say that gift, my first gift in many ways, uh, um, was uh, was really impactful. And I, I still remember today where we were sitting when 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 all that magic happened, and 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 Luke so so uh, courageously and graciously uh, guided it, guided me down that path uh, mm-hmm. to success. Right? You, you won't forget your first success, and and that was mine. Although most of the work was done by Luke. Yeah, that that one I'd say for sure. Beautiful family as well, who we've come to have a wonderful relationship with since then. Uh, and Luke, Luke is the Luke started it all. Yeah, that's great. Shout out to Luke, Luke Conway. Now, one of the things that we do well here in university relations is celebrate and celebrate with family. We believe family gets us to where we are each and every day. And on a few of those occasions, I've been fortunate enough to to meet Andrea and the, and the kids. So, can you tell us a little bit about your family there, Michael? Yeah, um, as uh, as you've heard me say, Andrea is love. She is the embodiment of love, and we've got fantastic children. And even if we didn't, even if I didn't have a fantastic uh, wife and fantastic kids, I'd tell you I did. Because, <laughs> so I've always found it curious that people speak poorly in public of their of their spouse and kids because it makes me think like, well, if your spouse is an idiot, who are you? Well, you're the one who wakes up next to your spouse every day, right? <laughs> it's it's a bit of a you know it's a scathing commentary on your spouse is a scathing commentary on you. But fortunately, it's not just rhetoric. I have uh, a fantastic family. Um, Andre and I have two beautiful kids. Uh, Andre and I have been married uh, almost 15 years. Be 15 years in, in mm-hmm. April. Um, uh, my father married us. My father's a deacon in, in the Catholic church. He married us. Uh, and, um, so there's a special bond there with, with my parents and, and our wedding. Um, uh, our daughter oldest is 10 years old. Her name's, uh, Yavara and our son's called Arno. He's six years old. Just fantastic kids, fantastic human beings, uh, who, who thanks to their mother have, uh, beauty on the outside and deep, deep beauty on the inside. Mm. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's us. We're family four, uh, have lived here in South Bend now for, for about seven years. And, um, uh, yeah, just great. Kids are doing the school thing, sort of hybrid model, go to school two days a week, virtual learning three days a week. So, uh, it's been great. It's been, it's been a rewarding experience to be able to see them more, uh, since, since we've been in, in this virtual environment. Yeah. But that's, that's my nice. family. What do you like to do outside of work? Whiskey, whiskey, uh, geopolitics. Those are my two hobbies, right? I like to uh, collect and uh, consume whiskey. And and the way you become a whiskey collector is that you buy more than you consume. Uh, (laughs) And so so we've collected whiskey over the years and we do, uh, we invest in whiskey and we research whiskey and we Mm. have sort of uh, different communities that we, we run in uh, as a result of uh, my interest in that. And and my wife's uh, incredibly supportive of that. Um, and even indulgent of, of it with me at times. Uh, so I also like geopolitics. Um, I like to learn and, and, uh, uh, and focus on things that are more eternal than the day-to-day things that we're encouraged to pay attention to, right? Geopolitics, geography, polity, people, right? I mean, it's essentially what the essence of the word is. What changes slowest in the world? Geography, 
and and people as populations, let's say, change the slowest, right? Mm. Uh, and so I like to study the impact of of those relatively permanent things on the way the world operates, right? Because uh, those are constraints, and and I think some it's really important to first understand your constraints before you articulate your ambitions. And two things that are incredibly constraining for any country or leader is the geography that they've inherited and the population that they lead. Um, and so the, the permanence of those two things uh, are what makes geopolitics interesting to me. Those are my two hobbies. Yeah. Nice. I could see a, a podcast on the horizon here with whiskey because <laughs> I like whiskey. We had Katie from your team on earlier mm -hmm. in the year and she's a whiskey connoisseur. So more to come. Let's just say that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a, uh, yeah, it's one. There's so much about life that's embedded yes. in the story of whiskey. And mm. it, yeah, that's another long form <laughs> conversation <laughs> podcast. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So Michael, we just turned the, the calendar that we're, we're through with 2020. We're now in 2021. So when you think about yeah. the year, what are you looking forward to the most this year? Uh, being with my family, uh, it, it, I've seen them in ways that I never saw them before and depths that I've never experienced with them before. And, and I expect that'll be something I look forward to every year. Mm. So the thing that's persistent is I look forward to, to time with my family. Yeah, they are, uh, they're it. They're the core. They're yes. the persistent. They're the eternal. Awesome. Yeah, that's it. Very nice. Well, Michael, we're almost at the end of our time today. Before we wrap up, we've got five final rapid fire questions for you. So are you ready for your take five? I am. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Best meal you've ever had. Foie gras top ribeye at a uh, countryside restaurant in Cheltenham, England. Um, and it was actually, wasn't even my meal. It was Andrea's meal, but I had food <laughs> envy and I'll never forget the one bite of that meal that she shared with me. So yeah. Foie oh, gras top ribeye. Great. That's Poof. great. Unforgettable. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite spot on campus? Uh, the Statue of the Sacred Heart on Main Quad and the inscription on the plinth on which the statue stands, Venite ad me omnis, uh, come all to me. I, I think it's it's beautiful imagery and beautiful messaging and, and, mm. and it really gets to the essence of our faith, right? The, the first faith in the world that invited everyone to be part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so the Statue of the Sacred Heart, him welcoming his mother into embrace and him welcoming the world into his embrace and that message come all to me. Yeah, it's my favorite place, my favorite uh, um, message on campus. City you'd love to visit one day? Aracataca, Colombia. Uh, it's the hometown of Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And it's oh. not even a city, it's a town. It's a tiny little town. And it's the foundation of the, the fictional town of Macondo, which is at the heart of his novel, 100 Years of Solitude. Mm -hmm. Such a magical piece of literature that I've always wanted to go to the town that inspired that uh, novel oh. in him. Uh, it's yeah. Aracataca. I yeah. bought, I bought that book for, for Mireya for Christmas as a matter of oh, fact in Spanish because yeah. she wanted it in Spanish. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way to read it. Mm. That's the way to read it. Yeah. What did you want to be when you were little? Astronaut, then pilot. And then when I was still little, as in when I was a sophomore in college, I, I wanted to be an accountant. Uh, mm. And so from celestial dreams to maybe earthly realities, <laughs> I wanted to be an astronaut and ended up an accountant. Uh, and there are a lot of people to blame along the way for, for that journey. Uh, it was also a great, a great outcome for me. Yeah. 
Michael, you're a worldly a worldly man. So, what language would you love to learn? German, uh, because oh. it, it it's not a language; it's a science. And I feel like I can mm. tick two boxes. <laughs> German always seems it's like it's so it's more scientific than it is linguistic. So, I'd like to learn German because uh, okay. I feel like I would learn a bit about science and about uh, linguistics. That's great. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a true blast uh, to have you on the show. We really enjoyed our time together with you and learning more about you and your family and your awesome team. And we do hope to have you come and visit us again soon. Anytime. Uh, again, thanks to you and Grace. Uh, you, you're fantastic people who are now doing yet another fantastic thing. Thanks for helping us get to know the who behind the what in our colleagues. Uh, thanks, Michael. Hey. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, no doubt. No Irish. <laughs> well, James, it's that time of year, so you know I have to ask, did you make any New Year's resolutions? You know, gee, it's going to be the same as last year when we had our show, uh, the first show of the year. It's going to be reading more. Uh, I'd love to to pick up a book and, and read, you know, maybe two bucks a month or something like that. Uh, I can't, I don't know what the rhythm's going to be. I re- recently bought myself an Amazon Kindle, so I'm hoping that that will spark my my reading uh, hobby here. And I, and I credit you, Grace, for, for uh, helping me with that. You know, you and I just read Brene Brown's uh, Dare to Lead book and had our book discussion yesterday. So thank you, G. And I think uh, I'll, I'll add reading as my resolution this year. How about you? Uh, my New Year's resolution is to relax more. And I actually found a great way to de-stress. Oh, really? What's that? Listening to our closing jingle. Oh, why not? That's right. Guys are consistent. No doubt. Well, that's the show today, everyone. This has been the Grace of Giving podcast. I'm your host, James Riley. And I'm Grace Crosby. And this has been the Grace of Giving podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, stay golden.